Welcome to the first inaugural podcast of Kentucky Politics Weekly. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Trey Watson, joined uh, as always with Tom Stevens. And as we do this podcast, uh, we're going to kind of have a, a rotating cast of, of Democrat uh, co-hosts, people who are former elected officials, uh, political operatives, media types, pe- people who are very knowledgeable, sharp on the process, can can kind of give that, uh, that alternate view of, of looking above and tell you what what they're seeing and what they think is going to go on next based on what they're looking at. Uh, more importantly, though, they're also friends of mine, friends of Tom's, people who you're going to hear good conversation, respectful conversation, because uh, because we all respect each other as, as professionals and, and what we've done, uh, regardless of what party we are. And at the end of the day, we're friends. So we're very excited to be joined on, on the first podcast by, uh, by my good friend, uh, former state auditor Adam Edelin. Adam, how you doing? Good, man. Great to be here with both y'all today, and I'm I'm pleased to be the inaugural guest. <laughs> I hope I hope to be invited back. Slash guinea pig. Guinea pig. <laughs> 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 the story of my life. Right? <laughs> uh, we're gonna kick off the first podcast here. Last night was the uh, was the governor's state of the budget address. Uh, I didn't time it, but it seemed like it might have been longer than the state of the Commonwealth, which. Is, is hard to believe. but If you thought it was long, imagine how Damon Thayer felt. <laughs> <laughs> well, Damon, uh, uh, he, he doesn't suffer fools lately. So, <laughs> uh, you know, listening to it, I, I really expected that the fact that he didn't address uh, a lot of budget stuff and a lot of, a lot of uh, kind of revenue generation matters in the state of the commonwealth i thought maybe he was dividing up the kind of the happy and the sad we'll take care of all the happy in the state of the commonwealth and take care of all of the uh the less happy stuff in in the budget and you know i was surprised that it seems like they uh they brought back some of the previous uh, budget prognosticators because the numbers were a lot higher than we've we've been hearing projected over the last uh several years there was a lot of new programs announced and you know adam what, what do you think on on kind of the direction the governor went on this with a little bit higher revenue projection and and you know throwing out a lot of, a lot of projects well, well you know I was while I was chief of staff to the elder Bashir I uh, I think we cut the budget 10 or 12 times in the two and a half years that I was chief and so I'm, I'm more familiar with the budget than I ever wanted to be uh, I will say that from a governor's perspective regardless of whether you're Democrat or Republican the budget is largely a political frame, and it's an opportunity for you to talk about your values, your administration, the direction you want to go in, and where you're going to put the money. And it's always the legislature's job to do the hard part, which is the math. And I thought uh, Bashir last night, Governor Bashir, was long on thematics. I think he was delivering uh, to his base a lot of things that they wanted. And I think he was happy to sort of kick the can down the road uh, with the math. Um, because, you know, a billion in change in new revenue, I don't think is anything that anybody was expecting. Um, but it was, uh, it was a, a pretty powerful statement that we're going to end the era of austerity. And I mean, you know, you, we've been, we have been cutting budgets, not just since the Great Recession, but, you know, and frankly, Paul Patton started a lot of this. There was a tax cutting uh, craze in the mid '90s, and and I think everybody would acknowledge that we cut too deep, and and you know we've had a decade and change of a decade and a half of budget cuts, and I think Bashir signaled that he wanted to end, put a stop to that. Now, how the Republicans who are going to have to pull out their calculators and and put this thing together <laughs> are going to behave, and whether this budget looks anything like what it did um, when when the governor proposed it last night at the end of the session is anybody's guess, but. I thought um, I thought the the budget was long on thematics. I thought it was short on math. Uh, I was impressed with how um, reserved Republican leadership seemed to be in their criticism of the budget last night. Uh, I think in a few weeks they'll be they'll be singing a, uh, from a different uh, hymnal. Well, I think that, that also speaks to who you got in leadership. You yeah, Ozzy and Stivers are not they're not your necessarily your bomb throwing Republicans. I think Stivers particularly can get fired up about stuff, but they're not the ones who are going to go out and start ripping arms off at the at the. At the Listen, fellas, I, I thought it was a. I thought the. I thought the governor had a very good run in the papers today. I think he got the headlines he wanted. Um, I think he committed a very serious strategic mistake, though. Um, not not briefing Republicans. Yeah. When your entire brand is married to civility, uh, it was a mistake. And I think the problem for Governor Bashir is now this opens up the the uh, you know a line of 
of argument from the the killers, guys like Damon Thayer. And, and that's and that's been a theme from the get go with, sure. with the with the state board of election appointments or state board of education appointments rather, where there not being any any Republicans, no Republican cabinet members, whereas you know even Bevin had several Democrats in there. Yeah, I think that's been a theme along the lines. I don't know if that's out of political spite or out of just it's Steve Bashir's people were on the show and they don't know any Republicans to reach out to that will that will come in. Well, I, hey, listen, I think he I think he's had a very good morning in the press. I think he's going to pay for it a lot. I think that was an unforced error, um, and you know we'll just see how it how it plays out. But you got to when you ha- when you're so married to one element of brand building, like Andy Bashir has has mortgaged the house and his kids' future and gone in everything on civility, and it has worked for him. You can see that it's, you know, the the Republicans in Frankfurt are having a hard time figuring out how do we respond to this guy without looking like dicks. And now you've, you know, I think I think the governor opened, uh, gave them uh, the room that they need. And my experience with with a lot of those guys in, in Republican leadership is that it'll be an opportunity that they can now exploit. So as a former cabinet secretary, the first thing that you do is you go and you start digging through the budget bill. And the big thing that I would look for are the the hidden sweeps. And so we started that contest this morning. You know, the budget's 130-plus pages of legal document and trying to make those comparisons. And one of the things that we saw in there pretty quickly, and you can reference back to the Twitter feed, uh, occupations, licensing and occupation seems like one place that there's been a fairly decent move in there. Uh, for me, um, the thing that I go to immediately is the health plan. So coming from the personnel cabinet, the biggest thing we operate is this huge health plan that 6 to 7% of the state population participate in. Uh, the budget has basically been balanced over the last six years. I guess has had a huge component with sweeps from the health insurance plan. We're at a point now where about a billion dollars has been moved from that, and there is no trust fund left. So that's maybe $300 million, $250 million have been swept now from other accounts. So I'm, I'm really interested to dig into that today and see what comes out. Well, and, and you won't be the only one. And <laughs> the problem with those sweeps, along with some of the other stuff, like the talking about settlement money and that, those sorts of things, is Andy Bashir is talking about starting up new initiatives with one-time money. And you know that's great. And he, he can legitimately say his, his budget, this biennium budget, is everything is paid for. The problem is he's creating stuff that's going to be there in the next budget. The teachers and state employees are not going to expect their pay, pay increases to go go back down in the next next biennium. Yeah, and, I mean it's certain it's certainly structurally imbalanced. Now yeah. he's not the first governor to no, do this. Certainly this not. is there've been a bunch, <laughs> but what I I hope he's playing a longer game here because I think what all of us in a really honest moment uh, and hope and I, I'm sure the podcast is going to reflect that honest moment for all of us. But <laughs> what every Republican and Democrat who cares about Kentucky says uh, over the second drink is that we've got to do comprehensive tax reform in yep. a big way. Everybody says that, um, and and for your listeners and for the general public, there's actually more commonality on that. There there is an opportunity for a big big grand bargain there and i hope that's what uh, i hope that's what governor Bashir's building toward um but you're right well, the, the structural imbalances trey are going to add up and i think you know on the tax reform my frustration has always been i don't think it's been communicated well enough by the legislature and i don't think people are willing to listen enough to the fact that what they started a couple years ago was never intended to be hey this is tax reform we're doing it you know it's going to take Probably anywhere from, if you want to do it right and make sure that you don't have one year where you have too much revenue because you tax too much or have one year where you don't have enough revenue because you tax too little, it's going to take 10 to 12, maybe 14 years of small changes every year. And there's going to be years where some people's taxes are going to go up and there's going to be some years where some people's taxes are going to go down. And the hope is that you can get buy-in from everybody that at the end of this process, the state's going to be better off. Everybody's going to be paying slightly less because the base is wider. There's going to be more revenue, and it's going to be good for everybody. But you know, we're in this 15-second Twitter news cycle, and it's hard for people to understand this, you know, longer vision of tax reform because comprehensive ain't going to work. Like you can't just you and you got to start somewhere. And yeah. and one thing I was surprised that I didn't hear last night uh, was uh, a case for the gas tax because that surprised me too. because this yeah. is one of the areas. That you know, a good governor who's who's following a strategic plan here, you know, I think understands that the gas tax is the best place to get bipartisan support for doing something different, and it creates a level of trust. It firms up ground, so you can go in and and it it it, it in the words of uh, uh, David Williams, it lays the predicate right. 
And so this is, you know, people, the rural Republican legislators know that our roads suck. Um, our urban mayors know that our infrastructure is crumbling. The gas tax is married to a, a, a model that just doesn't exist Adam, anymore. I'm one of the very few people in the state that can say that they have actually listened to the 1980 committee hearings with then Commerce Secretary Bruce Lunsford testifying that passed the gas tax. It's so, remarkable I, you found somebody to marry you, Trey. It really <laughs> is. I had to pull them. And I, I, I sat in, 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 at home in my apartment back in 2008 and listened to like yeah. four hours of tapes. And they were like literally laughing in this committee meeting saying, well, we'll never have to vote on another gas tax again. The problem is... That gas tax assumed that cars are going to get 10 miles per gallon. It did. And that- it, and, oh, and listen, and, and we're just a handful of years away, and I, I don't want to give anything away that I know that's proprietary, but we're a handful of years away in Kentucky from being the largest manufacturer of electronic vehicles in the United States. And we don't, those people aren't paying anything. They're not paying those. any taxes. And so we've got to modernize the, the gas tax. We've got to figure it out. Republicans get it. Uh, Democrats get it. Um, it's something that everybody, uh, in my sense, is ready to do. It just takes it takes strong well, leadership. Well, and, and I, you know what I keep I keep telling these guys is you have to stop saying the word gas tax. The phrase needs to be modernize our road funding formula because that's what we're doing. You know, it's not about raising or increasing a tax. It's about the fact that the formula is broken. We're not we're not collecting revenue in the correct manner. We need an entirely new revenue revenue funding formula process that needs to be modernized. So if, if I think if people would quit saying gas tax and you rebrand, rebrand it as modernizing the road funding formula, that's more palatable because people don't just, there's a visceral reaction to the word tax that right. turns people off. Tom, where did you grow up? Uh, well, in Lexington. You grew up here in Lexington. Um, you, you know, one of the things for, for guys our age, people our age, is we all remember the tolls. And it, yeah. it was just, you know, it was one of the things. I mean, people didn't love it, but they didn't hate it either. I remember paying it going down to concerts uh, from Danville, uh, going, to, going to Nashville when I was in college. And, you know, I came, moved back to Virginia for two years and came back to Kentucky. The tolls were all gone. That's right. The road got and paid so for rural it. Kentuckians are conditioned, particularly rural Kentuckians over the age of 40 are conditioned to pay for their roads. And I'm not saying bring back the toll, the, the, the tolls, but what I am saying is people don't mind paying taxes in Kentucky when they can see and feel the benefit. And if a governor and, a, and the legislature can't get together on gas tax modernization, uh, then we're in big trouble. We're in but real what, big trouble. What do you think the real likelihood is, Adam, that in an election year for the legislature that we're going to see anything on that? I think you could have. I think. I think they could get it done. I think um, uh, people are driving over road. I mean, listen. I, I spend a lot of time on the roads in Kentucky in my solar business. Um, there are places where you get your your teeth rattled out of your head, and you know, regular folks are driving across this every day, and they're you know they're bitching and complaining about you know the the uh, cars being knocked out of alignment or flat tires, and they, and they should. So I think I think campaigning on better roads is a narrative that works well, particularly well and, in rural And don't Kentucky. forget that if if we're going to do this thing with the bridge going across northern Kentucky, and we're going to do it somehow magically without tolls, you're. That would basically require the entire state's road budget for like three years. It sure so would. Good you, luck. You're either going to need a lot more money, or, or you're four need... lane in the mountain parkway, yeah. or building sixty nine. Doing yeah, all this I, stuff. you know, I, I, I was born in Kentucky, grew up in Virginia. The only thing that's different about like Radford, Virginia, versus uh, Pikeville or Paintsville or someplace like that is Interstate eighty one. Uh-huh. You know, and you're able to bring heavy manufacturing and you can produce products in southwestern Virginia because they have interstate going through there. That's right. Southeast Kentucky doesn't have that. You you could create all the industrial land you want unless you've got a way to get the product you produce there to market. Nobody's going to come there and you have to have money to do that. Right now we just don't have it. I personally I don't have a particular problem with tolls because to me it's it's a user fee. Yep. And the people that are using it are getting a, a getting a a return on their investment. They're getting a product back for and, and you know I live in Lexington. I cross the bridge up there in Northern Kentucky maybe twice a year. I'm happy to pay a toll to cross it if it helps helps fund it. But you know we have roads in Lexington that need fixing. Uh, we're up against our our, uh, our break here, but uh, we'll be back uh, in a second to kind of tell you more about what this podcast is going to be. Uh, tell, tell you more about us, and uh, we're gonna have Adam talk about the Iowa caucuses a little bit. So uh, stick with us. We'll be right back.
All right, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this second segment here, normally we're going to have uh, either more political debate, or in some cases, we're going to have uh, going to have reporters call in. I've got to work out the technology on be- being able to have uh, have call in guests. But uh, you know, I've talked to a couple people in the media. Love to have call in. Some some days we might even have you know elected officials call in. We, but one rule is they can't talk about their campaign. We don't want to hear from those guys. It's so lame. Yeah. I mean, and I can say this when I'm away from it. It is so lame. But, like, I mean, the, you, know, you da- know, Damon, there's a horse owner now. Sure. Love talk to, so talk to him about horses. Or, you know, yeah, or, during, or, or let, uh, yeah, there's a lot of I stuff. I told Damon, we'd have him on to pick horses during Keeneland. Like, Jack, like Jacqueline <laughs> Coleman talking about basketball is compelling stuff. Like, her grandfather was a star. She was a star. She's married to, you know, really athletic guy who's a basketball coach now. Like, seeing the human side of these politicians is really important. I'd, I'd love to figure out a reason to have Morgan McGarvey yeah. on. Morgan, yeah. he's a friend. His sister's a great friend of ours. So this is what you got to do with <laughs> but Morgan. Not, but not, but not, not politics. <laughs> Morgan is a fa- – he's going to kill me for saying this. <laughs> Morgan is a fantastic uh, – what, what's the guitar hero player? You know, the, <laughs> oh, the, yeah. The my wife, oh, yeah. My wife used to play all the time. Yeah. So, like, Morgan used to play with Jack Conway, which is something <laughs> I probably shouldn't. You know? But, like, that, getting Morgan is – he's I love him. He's like a little brother to me. I think he's going to go as far in politics as he wants to go. He's sharp. So, but, yeah, talk, you know, talk to him about stuff like guitar hero or <laughs> raising kids. Yeah, he, he's definitely game. But, you know, so – we want to bring kind of a different side of, of, of a lot of people, but different side of me that you, than you're used to getting different side of people like Adam and, and, and Matt Irwin, uh, Jonathan Miller was going to be on some. Um, you know, Irwin just, cusses. I just want to warn you. Yeah, no, like, we, we, than I do. we've got a, we got a, a delay, <laughs> delay button hooked up for Matt. <laughs> uh, just in case you, you're unaware of, of who any of us are, uh, yeah, my name is Trey Watson. I'm formerly spokesman of the Republican Party of Kentucky. Ran Ryan Quarles' campaign in 2015. Worked on campaigns before that. Uh, used to work in for for a variety of PR firms. Started my own uh, public relations firm, Capital Reigns, last year, and uh, was once called sometimes witty by the Lexington Herald Leader, which I wear. As I think it's writer. accurate, <laughs> <laughs> especially the sometimes part. Yeah. Uh, I'll let Tom say a little something about himself. Uh, yeah, Tom Stevens. Uh, let's see, I was general counsel at the personnel cabinet during the Fletcher administration. Uh, I think I was the highest ranking Republican in the personnel cabinet that was unindicted at the time. So that's kind of a unique honor. Yeah. Uh, since then, uh, private sector uh, lawyer, recovering lawyer, personnel cabinet secretary under Governor Bevan, and now I'm here with Trey. And most people know Adam, but Adam, you want anything you want to add? Yeah, to I'm Adam Edlin. I'm former chief of staff. I was the elected taxpayer watchdog. I was a candidate for governor last year, and I sure hope people listening to this podcast know who I am, <laughs> or else I need a $5 million if, rebate yeah. from my campaign last year. <laughs> That's, uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, like I said, we're, we're going to have people on that, that – are knowledgeable. I, I always tell. I've been telling people it's kind of like Tony Romo up in the booth uh, calling football. He's been on the field, knows what's going on. Can look. Can look at the lineup on the field and say, "This is what's going to happen. They're going to. They're going to run this play." And I think that's the sort of expertise, uh, professional uh, uh, experience that you can expect from this podcast. People who are going to be able to look at look at something and tell you, "Hey, this is what we think's coming, or this is what we think's happening behind the scenes." Uh, you know. Uh, we hope that you're informed. We hope you're educated. Uh, but most of all, we hope you're entertained because uh, you wouldn't be listening to this if you just want if you just want dry, boring political talk. There's a lot, a lot of places you can get that. We're going to be a little bit different here. Uh, you know, the Iowa caucuses are coming up this Saturday. And uh, our, our buddy Matt Jones is out there with a crew running around, meeting up with uh, with Johnny, the guy from Airplane. I guess he stood, he stood him up, didn't he? <laughs> I think he did. Uh, <laughs> make a hat yeah Bruce. only only matt jones you know the matt jones rambling wreck through iowa and he, it's killing it i mean i think it's some of the best programming i've ever <laughs> i've ever heard him do and it's uh you know and that that's appropriate because i think the iowa caucus is sort of a wreck oh it's a i mean it's a this side show in particular but uh you know is, is the is the the democrat in the room adam i'd love to get your breakdown of kind of what you see happening out there if you if you have any predictions on what you think is going to happen on Saturday, so so this is what uh, Democrats uh, are are struggling with is that you know you've got you've got uh, the president is actively under impeachment, you know seems to shoot himself in the foot every day. This ought to be a cod lock to beat him in the fall, and the guy who appears to have the momentum in the Democratic primaries 
and caucuses uh, isn't even a Democrat. <laughs> That's a problem. Didn't he and file so, in some states to run as an independent as yeah, well? I, I, I have no idea. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm from the capitalist wing of the Democratic Party, and <laughs> and you know, Bernie's not exactly my guy. But I think it's there, there's something interesting going on here because you think about uh, the, uh, you know, the reason why these folks are running. Joe Biden's, you know, principle is. You know, I can put the country back together. Elizabeth Warren says, I have a plan. Um, Pete Buttigieg is, you know, I I look like the future. And um, Fred Yang, or, you know, is... uh, uh, Andrew Yang. Fred Yang's a pollster. Fred Yang was a pollster. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Andrew Yang's, I'm going to give you a thousand bucks a month. And, And what's interesting about Sanders giving him his due is that it is a, we can fix this. It is, it is aspirational. It is, and he has built a moment, a moment, uh, particularly with, with young folks who don't have the same aversion to socialism that Cold War kids and, and, uh, and boomers have. So, uh, we're going to find out Saturday, whether this, whether this is real and if, and if it is real and he wins the Iowa caucus, all bets are off, and you will see um, you will see forced consolidation amongst the Democratic uh, candidates, and there'll be a stop Bernie movement. I suspect that Barack Obama will step into the fray in a significant way, um, because I think there's a consensus, at least among the Democratic establishment, that you know Bernie is an electoral disaster in the fall. But you have to recognize this guy is turning on a lot of new folks in politics, and it and it is real. And uh, the ability of the Democrats to bring this all together in some form or fashion at the end of the primaries is going to be real critical to having a having a shot at beating Trump. You know, I, I've said since almost immediately after Trump got elected that this election was going to look a lot like the, the mirror image to 2012. That Republicans thought we had a great shot at beating Obama, you know, coming out of the 2010 midterms, we were riding a wave, and we got in the primary season, and... People had to go so far left to get, or so far right, rather, to get to right. that primary. Romney had to say things that he'd never in a million years would, would have said or wanted to say because he, it's what he had to do to get through the primary, and it made him essentially unelectable when, when you got to the fall. And I, I've said since 2016 that, that this election, was go, I thought, was going to look a lot like that, that the Democrats were going to push themselves further and further to the left, and they were going to either send a left winger who couldn't win or a wounded centrist who had to take unelectable positions mm-hmm. uh, at, at primary because that's the, what they were going to have to do to get through the primary. And, you know, it's looking more and more like that may be where, where things are leaning. Because I think you're right. If, Ber- if Bernie wins Iowa, he's probably going to win New Hampshire. And they get stopped when we, when we get into primaries that are more diverse. But, you know, the, the, the question there then becomes like, you know, how many people drop out after Iowa, if any? How many would, were would drop out after Bernie wins New Hampshire. You know, if if it's somehow split and you've got somebody, you know, Bernie, let's say if Bernie finishes third somehow in, in Iowa. He, that's he, a real problem. He, he, he wins New Hampshire. Now, actually, I think somebody like Steyer and Bloomberg who have skipped states, they're back into play because you've had some, some division of... of of the votes. If somebody sweeps through those two, it makes things really tough for Steyer and Bloomberg to get to get into there, it. There's no doubt. So Mike Bloomberg really wants Bernie to win Iowa and New Hampshire uh, because he's the. I mean, my God, this guy's rich. I mean, getting oh. me. Uh, you know, I mean, it he's is. Got like a thousand staff members already. already. <laughs> and, and and he's talking to people in Kentucky. So I mean, I think he is in it for the long haul. But his whole assumption is based on the notion that. That uh, that it's going to be Bernie. But you know, uh, Bloomberg's doing something interesting too. That it's it's interesting. I wonder if there won't be campaign finance implications down the road on it. But where he's basically said, "Listen, I'm in it. I want the nomination. If I don't get the nomination, these people are signing contracts to work for, with me through November. They're mm-hmm. going to stay on the ground, and whether I win or lose, I'm going to you know I'm going to help beat Donald Trump." But being a candidate allows him access to the party's data systems, right. to, to, the, to the party's, uh, all their voter information files. And, you know, I just wonder what, if this, if this thing morphs from a campaign into a super PAC, if he has to drop out, you know, we've never seen this before. Never. So is, is there some sort of campaign finance issue down the road on it? I, I just, I don't know because it's something we've never encountered. Well, here's something else I don't think we've seen. How do you guys feel about the ages of the candidates that are leading the pack right now? I've got a list here. Uh, so Biden is 77. Elizabeth Warren is 78. 
Uh, no, I'm sorry. Elizabeth Warren is 70. Joe Biden, 77. Sanders is 78. Bloomberg, 77. So, I mean, we're almost guaranteed out of the top of the pack, we're going to have a president come in the next round that's going to be over 75. No doubt. When they take office. Think about that. And think about, I mean, how old Reagan felt. He went in at 69, right? <laughs> Even Bush 69. felt, felt Oh, yeah, old. for sure. But, I mean, this is a, you know, listen, I mean— you know, people, I am not a Bernie guy, but people can criticize him all they want. But this dude is 78 years old with a bad heart, and he has surged to the front of the Democratic pack in our two early states. I mean, this is the, the I will tell you what, what will be really interesting is that the vice presidential selection at the, at the convention is going to be extraordinarily important in the same way that you know, Trump bringing Pence in that sort of alleviated concerns with movement conservatives. Uh, the, the, the vice presidential pick is going to be really, really important. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, for multiple reasons. One, they're going to have to put this party back together somehow. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's Biden, they're going to have to have somebody young from the, from the left wing. And if it's Bernie, they're going to have to, you know, he's going to have to somehow be okay with taking somebody young from the middle. Because right. either way, if it's one of those two, that you know, there's there is a chance that they won't make it through four years, and you're going to have to have somebody that can step in because the the ability to to take over that mantle is going to be a, a, um, an issue in the election. I think for both parties, right? Right. Well, I don't want to bore anybody with this, but if we were starting today, I mean, why in the world do we allow Iowa and New Hampshire, these two <laughs> little states? They had the level of influence that they have right now in our system. Nobody has a primary system like what we have. Because if anybody, if, if this country loves anything, it's a tradition. Uh-huh. <laughs> we, we, right. we just love traditions, and it's, it's tradition. I, I do think this is, Tom, this is a major conversation with the Democratic Party, uh, particularly as the Democratic Party base has become so diverse. The most, re, the most reliable uh, voters in a Democratic Party are now are African American women, and you've got, and now we've got a, and we have a primary system that doesn't reflect that reality. And, and the African Americans don't have input in our primary system until uh, until uh, South Carolina, and that's a real problem, particularly for. Well, and party. even the Republicans tried to address it a couple of years ago, and there was there was massive upheaval and protests, and people were mad, and you know we set up this weird point system where you could lose. You could lose delegates to the convention if you moved your your primary or caucus here or there, but there was special exemptions put in place to protect Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. And you know, it's but once again, it gets back to there's just you know, this is a country that loves loves tradition, and it's it's hard it's hard to break those even when it may openly hurt the process. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, looking looking forward further towards the fall. You know, we, of course, we got an election. Here in Kentucky, uh, you get any 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 early views on what's going on in that in that Senate primary? I mean, I think Booker is an interesting cog in the works uh, because he is going to force McGrath to have you know, Al Sharpton. I think it was eighty eight was running mm-hmm. for president, and somebody asked him, you know, why are you running for president? You're not going to win. He said, because if you're going to be the nominee for my party, you're going to have to talk about my issues. Yeah, and I and I think that that could end up being a problem for Amy McGrath because Booker wants to talk about his issues, which are not necessarily the issues of the rank and file general election U.S. Senate voter in Kentucky. And he's going to force McGrath to have to talk about some of the stuff. That- so my, my fear for Charles Booker, who's a friend, as is Amy McGrath, is that uh, he got in too late. And, you know, I can be critical of that because it's a mistake I made in the, in the governor's primary last year. Um, he's locked into Frankfurt until uh, almost Derby, yep. and then the primaries three weeks later. Um, that's that's a real tough spot to be in. So, you know, I suspect McGrath is going to try to uh, run the above uh, above the uh, the fray primary approach. Uh, Charles will uh, pick at her. The difference between Charles and other sort of movement progressives, like Celis Wilder, is a great guy. Um, Celis uh, articulated a lot of these really progressive positions, but Celis didn't have a, a geographic base. I mean, he was yeah. in Franklin County, right? You know, Charles does, and and so in West Louisville is no joke in the uh, in a Democratic primary, and so he he will, I think, has an opportunity to do well. But I think Charles Booker is building for the future, and and is is turning on a lot of progressives in Kentucky, and that's where the energy is. I think the clock is his enemy. Yeah, and you know, I, I think McGrath is. You can't discount the amount of money that she's she has raised and has the ability to raise, and can just 
can just carpet bomb and it makes it hard to get that message out for for anybody else when Trey I actually think McConnell will be outspent it would, wouldn't shock me I think he'll be outspent it is uh he's now reached that level where he's such a boogeyman to the to the uh to Democrats that it's real easy to raise money against him and and it, it you know and it will be a uh Kentucky will be <laughs> The, it would be a good time, fellas, for us to be in the TV advertising business. I was well, just thinking the exact I, yeah, same and, thing. Yeah. And in Kentucky, too, if we learn one thing from McGrath's race against Barr, is you can reach a point where there's just nothing left to buy. There's saturation, you, you, and yeah. that's exactly what and I, and I think that's where we're reaching this race. There's it, no it, doubt. Yeah, it won't matter how much money you spend because there's nothing. there'll be nothing left to buy. Uh, we're, we're up against a break, so we're going to take a minute, and uh, we'll come back with, uh, with some news here in a minute. Uh, you're listening to Kentucky Politics Weekly. Today's episode of Kentucky Politics Weekly is brought to you by, well, Tom, Kentucky Politics Weekly. Yeah, I guess we're paying for that right now. <laughs> right now, yes. Uh, if you'd like to advertise on Kentucky Politics Weekly, you can contact us at kypoliticsweekly at gmail.com. Uh, I think we're going to have a pretty good uh, pretty good listener base, and especially if you're trying to get across messages to, uh, to the Frankfurt type, state government employees, uh, elected officials, uh, the lo- lobbyist folks, pol- political people who are generally interested in politics, and hopefully in the, in the future, people that really just like an entertaining podcast. Uh, we're going to be we're going to be the place for you. We take all major credit cards, Venmo, PayPal, uh, Bitcoin. We'll take Bitcoin if you have any Bitcoins laying around. Bars of gold. Uh, Bullion's good. You know, interesting trades. Whiskey. We'll see. <laughs> uh, anyway, if you'd like to advertise in this podcast in the future, please contact us at kypoliticsweekly at gmail.com. All right, welcome back to Kentucky Politics Weekly. Uh, we're going to throw it over to Tom for uh, to run run through some of the news. Okay, well, the I think the the biggest event of the week, right, is got to be the the helicopter crash with Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it struck everybody. It definitely hit home to me. Uh, my dad is a professional helicopter pilot that's retired now, so anytime something like that happens, I I invariably get those text messages and inquiries. So, guys, uh, uh, it's I think this is almost one of those like where were you moments. I agree, and so I've got uh, 14-year-old twin boys, and they don't get Michael Jordan. I mean, they understand his brilliance, but, you know, and they, they don't understand, you know, don't follow the baseball guys that I grew up with. Kobe is the one athlete that sort of bridged my generation to theirs. And so from, you know, when, when my boy Hamilton throws, you know, trash in the garbage and it goes in, he says, Kobe, and, it, and it's, you know, when, when uh, you know, somebody uh, – he scores in lacrosse. All the kids yell Kobe. The guy's a cultural icon, and I think it's exactly, you know, well, where were you? Bill, Bill Simmons had a great take on it, which is Kobe came on the scene in about 96, and Kobe Kobe has literally been there from the beginning of kind of the Internet generation to now. You know, anybody who's ever had – 96 is when most people started to get email addresses and getting on AOL and stuff like that. That's right. You know, and, and so the, the – he has been there for the entire burgeoning of, of the internet, from from chat rooms to blogs to Twitter. Uh, Yakobi's kind of been the breakout star, and so and for this whole generation who who has grown up, especially not even for people as as, as young as your kids, out of people like you know my age to about you know mid twenties, who have grown up with the growth of the internet. You know, he's been the predominant sports athlete star of the, who's been there that entire time period, and it's just. And then you throw into it kind of the the complicated nature of Kobe when you throw in some you know some of the other stuff the the accusations the lawsuit settlement you know you've got reporters kind of tweeting out stuff that you know, I can't even let the the ashes stop smoldering before we stop throwing stuff starting stuff against the wall you know he's such an intriguing figure both for for what he did on the court what happened to him early in his life off the court and kind of how it seems like by all accounts of any from anyone that you hear from now really redeemed himself and 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 became a, a model father and philanthropist and and somebody who really cared about his community and the people around him i agree yeah you know, one one thing that i wonder about on this is if kobe will be the person his his death will be the person that will start to allow us to deal with 
the fact that people, you know, with the whole Me Too thing, we've hit this point. The pendulum has swung way to the other side where we weren't believing anything, and now we're way to the other side where, you know, any accusations believed, and 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 if you did anything, you're you're irredeemable. You know, I wonder if Kobe might be the person to begin to allow us to deal with the fact that people people are complicated and they change, and that you know somebody can be both a heroic figure and and a and someone to be admired, but also have a complicated past and, and have done wrong. And and you know maybe he's his passing I mean, can start to allow us to handle. You could do a whole that. podcast on. That. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think people would be really interested. All right, well, let's move on. <laughs> All right, so probably the least interesting story of the week. Um, I guess we have to talk about impeachment. It's just a requirement. Well, maybe not least interesting from this side of the. <laughs> I mean, at the at the end of the day, he, he's not going to get impeached. This is all a show. But you got to let Bolton testify, guys. Uh, you got to let Biden testify. Then, too. Let, I mean, but why, I don't. I don't understand how Biden's relevant. I really don't. But I, I understand how the president's former national security advisor saying that I was directed, you know, to hold this stuff up until they investigated the Bidens. Um, you know, I, I'm not here to say Bo Biden is a good look for Joe. I'm far from it. Uh, but this is a mess. Um, and, and you know, it's we got to get a trial's got to have real witnesses. I think it, he's busy down in Arkansas this week, isn't he? Isn't yeah. there something <laughs> about At the end of the day, I think I think some of the stuff that Fein, that Diane Feinstein said the other day is, is, is correct. And, you know, what I told Democrat friends last fall was, you know, if I was running this thing, and I, and I know Nancy Pelosi didn't want to push it as hard as she did, she kind of got forced into it by the by the by the flanks in the party. If I were if I were them, I would have run the full full investigation like they like they ran the the committee meetings and, and the impeachment hearings. But I would have couched couched as saying, "Listen, there's an election coming up in November. Uh, the American people will have their chance to to decide this man's fate." We're going to hold all the hearings like we would in an impeachment process so that they can go vote fully informed. But, you know, we're, we're not going to remove the people's opportunity to decide this man's fate, you know, four months, before, five months before election, whatever, you know, whatever it's going to end up being. You know, I know a big part of the podcast is trying to uh, trying to forecast where things are going. I, th- I think what could emerge from this in the next couple of weeks is uh, a censure of the president. I think Thank there you. I think there are. Uh, six Republican senators who are either independent enough like Mitt Romney or who are in big trouble like Susan Collins or the fellow in Colorado uh, who would vote for censure. Uh, that that could be... I could see a censure. That could, I mean, be, that could be where it goes, too. Yeah, and, and, sure. and, and to be honest, I, I have always thought that this was... that Democrats have been sitting around since the 90s waiting to impeach a Republican as revenge for Clinton. Bush, ne- Bush never gave them enough rope to do it with. Trump almost taunted them to do it. And I, and I, so I think a similar punishment to what Clinton got might be where we end up at. And, and hopefully then we can say, all right, we impeached one of yours. You impeached one of ours. Let's, 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 let's move it along. <laughs> let's call the whole thing <laughs> off. <laughs> all right. Let's go into something a little bit more fun. Uh, UK basketball cats had a huge win. I think on Saturday night at Texas tech, uh, it was a great game to watch. Um, except for the fact that the Cats gave up once again a big lead, but I really felt like watching that game. I saw some maturity there. Yeah, you know they, and I think this kind of goes on to our next item too with Khalil Whitney transferring. I, I think that he's certainly a talent, and and we're gonna miss him. But to a degree, I think it might actually help us because Cal sometimes he gets into weird things on on substituting patterns, and you know he's got some good shooters in the team, but Cal for, for all Cal will leave. Uh, low post guys in all day long, even if they're playing bad. But shooters, the minute they they start shooting bad, he, he yanks them. And shooters got, have to shoot to get hot. Yep. And you know, I, I'm kind of wondering if we won't really begin to mature as a team and gel because they're going to have to play guys more and they have to play together more, and they're going to be able to develop more of a rhythm. Some of these guys who've been a little bit cold shooting are going to be able to get their their legs underneath them and mm-hmm. and start firing. And you know. I think we saw the beginnings of it against Texas Tech, and I'm really hopeful that we're seeing this team mature into that kind of like that team with Marcus Lee and and uh, 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 who all else on the team, uh, Randall and the Harrison twins, where yeah. they really struggled through SEC play, and then about the SEC tournament, a light bulb. It turned on. I think that was the first year of the, of the tweak. It was. It was. The, <laughs> yeah. It was that horrible. The, 
the the loss that drove me most crazy in the last ten years was the South Carolina loss that year, yeah. um, where we got blown out and down there. Then when Cal got thrown out, right. and it was just, it was a total yeah. disaster. And I and that, but remember, we ended up making a you know went to the finals, yeah, lost, which lost was to, incredible. Uh, lost to Kimball Walker, and and so we got hot. Two takeaways for me from that game, Tom. One is that uh, uh, officiating has gotten awful. Ugh. I mean, that was the. And you see it everywhere did, now. Did you and see the Rick Barnes bump yeah, I last did, night? Which is insane. And, the, and, and me rushing to the defense of a Tennessee coach. Like me rushing to the defense of Matt Bevan. It ain't going to happen. However, um, that those two things illustrate, I mean, how unprofessional I think um, uh, refereeing has got. That's a systemic problem. they got to figure that out. The other is that. Nick Richards is a beast, and he he put it, the team on his shoulders, got it done. You know, watching this guy develop, he looks um, like he's figured it out. He, ha- I think he has. I think he's one of the best big men in the country. And, and here's the thing about it: he can shoot free throws. Yes, he which can. a lot of guys his size struggle with. So the the exciting thing for Cats fans is that um, we can beat anybody in the country. The question is, can we put four wins together? And yeah. we'll find out in, a, in about six and, you know, and another Cats news, too. I don't know if you saw uh, Rivals.com release their updated rankings, and two of our uh, signees have so uh, awesome. got, got put in the top five. So yeah. we've got two of the top five recruits in the country coming Which we in. Which we haven't had that kind of ra- uh, ratio of the, of the top five guys. Since the probably yeah. ca- Towns year. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, well, it's fun with Nick Richards, too, because where he's been here a few years, you really feel like you get to know him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the nice things about that. Uh, also, I know Kentucky Rifle, I believe, is number one in the country, as announced today. How so, cool is that? Yeah. Like, we don't talk about this near enough. But, like, I, I was watching the other day or following on Twitter, these guys beat, like, West Point. <laughs> where where we assume that they're pretty good shots. I just think that is badass. We the university ought to talk about that way more. And, and those of us who love it ought to talk about our rifle program. We're successful in a lot of those kind of kind of B and C tier sports. Like UK racks up the wins. Like when you look at the the Presidents Cup rankings at the end of the year, that's the, kind of the the compounding of all college athletics. UK is always up in the top twenty or so because we we do really well in sports like rifling, gymnastics cheerleading like things that you don't normally speak think of big time division apparently we have a pretty good bass fishing team yeah good bass fishing team yeah so i think it's awesome (laughs) yeah where was that when i was in high school (laughs) Uh, scholarship (laughs) all right so kind of a scary story right now is the coronavirus Uh, it's well i think one of the things it shares with me it's not just the life and death aspect but the interdependency of our different economic systems now so we see this impact on all these different parts of the economy as you have this thing come up uh, I'm going to guess that you guys haven't purchased anything at a wet market lately. No, no but Tom, <laughs> I will tell you, my wife and I just canceled a trip to South a- Southeast Asia. Really? We are going to Hong Kong. Um, I had a business uh, connection there uh, that we've canceled. And that, that is a real-world, you know, Kentucky example of how uh, how interdependent our economic systems are. At the same time, you know, one side of the world catches a cold, the other side catches a flu. It, it is... Uh, uh, it disrupted my plans. I, I, I will say that being married to a physician, they tend to always think that these things are overreactions. I, I think uh, scary global pandemic virus sells really well yeah. on on news programming when they're trying. To, yeah, and and so you know, I, I do think that there. There's always I'm always very skeptical on the true danger of any of these things until something actually happens because it's, the media blows it up so big and and I just. You know, like I said, being married to a doctor, they're never really that worried about these things. They're 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 more worried about the random people that are going to roll in the hospital claiming to have it because they're hypochondriacs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, uh, one more item in my attempt to make an hour feel like a lifetime. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys have made your Valentine's Day plans yet, but <sighs> there was a national story uh, that Waffle House has set up for Valentine's Day. So I wanted to let you guys know that there are four locations here in the Commonwealth. Uh, Georgetown, Richmond, I'm sorry, five, Louisville, uh, Wilder, and LaGrange will all have a special Valentine's offering. Uh, white tablecloth service. Listen, brother, I, I can't get I can't get Melissa Edlin to go to the Waffle House on a Saturday morning, <laughs> despite the fact that it is my favorite restaurant. In the, I love it. If I had to pick one place to dine out, you know, for the rest of my life, it'd be the Waffle. How, House. how do you, how do you take it. your hash browns? That's a real question. Uh, extra crispy, uh, double and extra crispy. 
I'm I'm a big uh, big ham ham and cheese chunked ham and cheese fan Good on, stuff. on on waffles. You know, Tom, the White Castle in Louisville has for years done done uh, Valentine's Day uh, reservations at the White Castle. So you know, you got a tough choice there. Waffle House or White Castle for for a Valentine's Day date. Uh, you know, unfortunately, as Tommy and I have talked about before, Crystal it would be no longer available. As, that, that's as, right. As, as an Bring option. your wife to White Castle for Valentine's Day. It'll be your last. <laughs> yeah, go in there with a little pre-filled out <laughs> yeah. divorce bleeding. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, comes at, comes at the table with the yeah, paperwork. <laughs> All right. Well, we're right. gonna t- we're gonna take a quick break and uh, come back with some other some other kind of general discussion. Uh, I, I, I've got. Got a national news story that's been really eating in my crawl. I need to complain about, and uh, we'll, we'll be back in a second. You're listening to Kentucky Politics Weekly. All right, welcome back to Kentucky Politics Weekly, and uh, this last segment here is just kind of kind of be. Us discussing whatever's going on in the world, things that might be eating at us, annoying us, uh, and just kind of conversation between friends. And you know, the one news story that came up this last week that I thought was hilarious and also infuriating at where people are uh, kind of with, with overreaction thing. Things that, uh, nowadays, Sergeant Slaughter, the wrestler, uh, was on GI Joe. Excuse me, that's wrestler. <laughs> hey, some some of some of us are aficionados of, 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 of the sport. Adam, did you watch the Royal Rumble this this past Sunday? No, but I I did grow up on Jerry the King Lawler and. Uh, actually, uh, Jerry the King Lawler played on a softball team my dad sponsored, the Renegade softball team, and for years, uh, we were on his personal Christmas card list. I, I got him hanging around the office. Somewhere. How is that not on your Twitter profile? Like that. <laughs> That's the coolest thing ever, we, man. We we actually used to vacation every summer every, uh, every summer down at Sanibel Island, and we stayed at Jerry Jarrett's uh, condo. Yeah. Jerry owned the USWA where where Jerry Lawler wrestled, and and uh, of course his son was J E double F J A double R E double T Jeff Jarrett. Not that Ron uh, Quarles isn't a great guy, dude, <laughs> but I would brag a lot more about my affiliation with Jerry Lawler. Does this all of a sudden explain a lot of things that you've wondered about in the past? <laughs> Anyway, Sergeant Slaughter was on a radio show, and he was doing his shtick, you know? And he was talking about his time in Vietnam. First of all, I, I don't know how that comes up in the course of him doing his wrestling shtick, but whatever. And now he's being accused of stolen valor, which, it's professional wrestling. If you believe he's actually a sergeant in the U.S. military, what's wrong with you? Like, is The Undertaker actually a dead man? Is Yokozuna actually a, a sumo champion? Is the Ultimate Warrior actually from Parts Unknown? Like, <laughs> come on. You know, if he's if he's guilty of stolen valor, then you know, what do we have to say about the time that during the, the, the Gulf War that he turned heel and teamed up with Colonel Mustafa and was oh, fight with was com- coming out with the Iraqi flag? Like, come on. <laughs> I'm with you. I think that's crazy. It's over the top. I mean <laughs> A, people, people take everything so seriously. It's it's wrestling. It's all fake. It's scripted. He's playing a part. It's it's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> I used to I used to always tell people, Adam, when I worked at the party, yeah, I, I said a lot of things about a lot of people. Some some good about you. Yeah, and yet, and yet I'm here today. <laughs> and yet this you're here because you know I, I had was talking with Matt Jones one time, and yeah. he, he said, why do you have to be such a jerk on Twitter all the time? It's your job. And I said, well, Matt, I said, I'm basically a professional wrestler. I, yeah. I, said, I, said, I, I said, I'm a heel. I said, I'm paid to be a heel. Uh, you know, I come out of the locker room and, and do my heel act, and I go back to the locker room, and I can be friends all the faces. Sure. But you know, my job is to go out and be the heel. And <laughs> it, it astonishes me sometimes when people don't understand that, you know, when you work in politics, that you don't, your voice is not your own. Like you have to, you have to say what you're being contracted to say. You know, I, I'm paid to go out and and defend Matt Bevin and attack Adam Edelin and uh, you know say this, that, or the other. I, I don't get to actually voice my own voice. Listen, it, it, the, the, what I tell people about politics: if you don't like people, it is an odd career choice. Oh, ab- absolutely. And so, um, and you can't, you just can't take this stuff personally. And I, I think. 
you know, they're, um, um, you know, I worked for two guys who had pretty thick skin, Paul Patton and Steve Bashir, right? And, and, um, very, you know, very few things ever, ever got under their crawl and, and, you know, calm and steady. And you understand that people are doing what they need to do. Um, you know, I think, I think it, that's really what undid in my view, Matt Bevan, because he was, uh, an inordinately talented natural politician. The guy could speak off the oh, cuff you put him in a room really well. And... and he had a high energy level, but my God. God, every, what all the Democrats knew is that if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to uh, upset the the message cycle for Matt Bevan, you just had to go out and say something about him, and he'd take the bait every single time. And Tom, I can't imagine what it was like, you know, in, in you know a message maven uh, like you, Trey, being professional and understanding that you know that you're fighting about stuff that matters, and the stuff that matters. Uh, the stuff that you're talking about matters more than what people say about you. I mean, good grief, Trey. If I, you know, thought about all the stuff you said about me, I wouldn't be here. But you were doing your job, and you, you were doing your job. And, I, and, and, you know, those of us who run for office or become public figures, this is what you sign up for. Yeah. And if you can't take it, then get out. Go, go run a, you know, an investment fund or go, you know, do something where you don't have to be around people. But if you're in a profession, politics is the ultimate people profession. And if you can't handle, you know, there's a lot of adulation you don't deserve. If you can't balance that in your mind with a lot of criticism that you don't awfully deserve, awful also deserve, you don't belong in the, you don't belong in it. Well, I think it's especially tough nowadays with, with specifically Twitter. Because Twitter, you've got like the craziest kookiest people on the right the craziest kookiest people on the left and then the media and politicians in the middle those are like the only people that care about twitter yeah <laughs> and right. you know for like for my job I, I would love to just completely get off of twitter but you know to communicate the easiest way to communicate and get messages to the press and to get talking points and narratives out there if, if you twitter. want to get the media is, is twitter because yeah. the, the press is obsessed with it politicians are obsessed with it and you know you, you can get it out there and then that leads to like just insane people i i used to have joe girth and i and uh, brad bowman when he was at kdp we'd get into into fights on twitter and invariably uh -huh. it would the way it would end would be us going back and forth and then somebody on either side either the far left or the far right chiming in saying something completely insane and then <laughs> whoever whoever's side that person was on having to text the other person be like oh sorry yeah. that took a turn for the left yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. you know we, we were yeah we were having a, a doing our shtick back and forth on twitter and somebody had to interject when you have Irwin on matt Irwin, who was my you know a big deal in my campaign and a great great democratic operative you know, he has this theory that Twitter was designed for news junkies with ADD, and I think that's exactly <laughs> right. And uh, when you when you have him on, you got to have him talk about his views on Twitter because it's hilarious. But he also, at the same time, it's like the ultimate love hate relationship. Yeah. Because there are moments where I'm like, I cannot believe that somebody I like just said that, <laughs> or the corollary is I can't believe this dude that I don't like just said something that I agree with. Um, you know, you just can't get away and from you, it. The, and the crazy thing is you can become like, you can become a pseudo-celebrity just through sheer force of will. Mm -hmm. Just just in volume. You but, can become, you can dude, become somebody's listening to. You can. It, well, and I mean, and you look, you know, look at my, Rex Chapman is a friend of mine. Rex Chapman, you know, there's a front page story in the LA Times about what a social media phenomenon. He's got like Ice T tweeting back at him all the time. Block versus charge is one of the best it's, things of all time. And it and if you 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 know y'all out you ought to have Rex on sometime to talk about it. But he is that just he was messing around on Twitter and this thing became a phenomenon. And now you know he and my friend Dave Helmers have a show on Adult Swim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about blocker charge and it's. <laughs> I mean, this is nuts. It's it, it's crazy, and and the way it kind of the entertainment part of it interacts with politics. Like, you know, you've got weird troll accounts that like become. Uh, I was there's a Hill article. My, one of my favorite Twitter accounts right now. It has been for several years. Is Miguel Blumbito, and it's it's a, a troll account that was created when Bloomberg was mayor, making fun of his bad broken Spanish. And the the Bloomberg campaign apparently reached out to the woman who runs it and was like, "Hey, we'd love to pay you to like." You know, help of the campaign. She's like, I started this because I didn't like him. I'm not going to work for the campaign. <laughs> right. You know, sports Twitter, pol political Twitter is awful. I think sports Twitter is fantastic. And oh, not, Twitter, yeah. not Jerry Tipton is that. Yeah. Oh, that's and a he's great like one. a lawyer in Alabama one, yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. He's awesome. 
and and you know the insights and uh, uh, 1970 sports. Have you seen that Twitter <laughs> handle, seen that guys? One. It oh, all he does is talk about sports stars from like in cultural events from like the late. 70s and 80s so <laughs> there might be a baseball bunch reference at the same time that they're you know he's talking about you know uh gaylord perry's you know pompadour <laughs> i mean it, it, it's you got to check this stuff out <laughs> you know one more subject i wanted to get to when we have adam here it, because it's not very often that someone who's worked on a campaign that spent i, I looked it up I, I guess if you if you include super PAC money it, it'd be more than us but but Straight campaign spending, Billy still spent more. It's not very often I'm in, I'm in a room with somebody who spent nearly as much <laughs> campaign in a primary as we spent with Billy Harper back in 07. But, a- Adam, you you accomplished that. And my one question is, did, did you have a bus? Uh, no. Oh, would, man, we, why, we why did you not get a bus? We would have definitely had, had a, a bus, bus in the in the general election. You know, our issue, when we, we got in very late, and, uh, and you know, I, I think in our benchmark poll, I was at 5 or 6%. Uh, we were 50 points behind Andy Bashir, and um, and you know we closed it to 10 points. We just ran out of time. Uh, but had we pulled it out in the primary, you can bet your life we would have had a bus you, in the fall. You know, because, we we had the Billy bus, and it had yeah. it had the wrap on it. And uh, my favorite part was, was well, a it was always fully stocked with Makers and Woodford and and red wine for Billy. And uh, we had two TVs with, with we had a uh, direct TV dish that we, we could you know watch different different programming on on the bus and the two different TVs. I'll never forget leaving Keeneland. We did a opening day at Keeneland in 07, in the spring. It was snowing, but we did a, a, a tailgate burgers of Billy. We were out there cooking burgers and handing them out. And then we had to go. I had to go with Dick Wilson, the running mate, up to uh, General Butler State Park to to do a uh, a Lincoln dinner. I never forget leaving Keeneland and just laying down on the couch in the bus and watching golf all the way up the way up to Lincoln. It's a good thing there wasn't Twitter back then. Yeah, yeah. My, yeah. my favorite part of that campaign was, you know, I'm not sure we've ever had two candidates for governor and lieutenant governor who just liked each other as much as Gil Holland and I did. And so we might have done. Like I don't know. A, remember. Uh, Billy and Dick were country club buddies. And, yeah, and and they originally put Dick on the on the ticket so just they could start spending money. Yeah, and Billy Dick was having so much fun with it. Billy felt bad to, to take him off the yeah because they were. I mean, they were talking to like you know Richie Farmer and all these other people about getting him on the ticket. And Billy was like, ah, I just don't think I can kick Dick off. And so we ended up with with two guys from Paducah running together, which honestly was great for me because you're from Paducah. Well, I'm from Paducah, but but because Billy. Because Dick was still working like 40 hours a week during the campaign, so he couldn't make most of these Lincoln dinners out in the state. So the the B Circuit team ended up being Robbie Rudolph, Jeff Hoover, and me. Yep. Because I, I gave Billy's speech for like 30-something Lincoln Day dinners for him. There you go, and well-delivered. I think <laughs> Gil and I may have gotten a – we probably would have gotten a van or maybe a muscle car. Oh, dude, the bus, See, the bus is the, the way state. to go. The bus yeah. is the way to go, I man. think Kentucky Politics Weekly, the bus might be a little bit much right now, but like an old custom van maybe? We'll get like, an R, like an RV yeah. or something. Yeah. You know, we, we, Big like a uh, fat head sticker I, you know, I hear your Lund- head on the side of it. I hear yeah. Lundy's might have one available. Oh. But, <laughs> but you know, that, that was the thing about that whole trial that, that – uh, well, I, I knew there was an issue is, uh, you know, that bus cost us, not including gas, I think it was a little bit over $300,000. Because once you put the wrap on the bus, it's yours for the entirety of the of, of, of the time that you have it. Because they can't exactly rent out a, a, a bus to somebody else with Billy Harper's, you know, giant head and race car on the side of it. So, I mean, I know what it cost us, and it did not cost her nearly as much because she, she, they weren't charging her for the days that it wasn't being used. That's not how it works when you got a bus rental. If you once you put that wrap on it, you own the thing, even if you're not using it. Which is what? why we use every, every even if we even if Billy wasn't in it, we since we were paying for it, we just said Butch, who's a bus bus driver, said Butch, just go drive around East Kentucky. Oh, I thought <laughs> like, you were going to say you parked it out in front of the two keys. Or no, something. we, we would yeah, literally just of. we would literally just have him drive through small towns. But so here's the upside of the bus. We had a bus in eleven, um, and it was great because you had you know. Governor Bashir's running for re-election. You had a lot of, you know, Allison and me and younger people on the down ballot. And it was great. And it, and it created some camaraderie. And you got, you know, and people started playing off each other in the speeches. I think it's something, I think the tickets ought to campaign together in the fall. And, I, you know, I think it was a big mistake of the Conway campaign where we didn't do that because it was their calculation that if we don't tell people we're Democrats, maybe they won't figure it out. Uh, or, or, was, or if we encourage people not to vote. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, um, it was a bold strategy. Uh, <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how it plays uh, out, Cotton. Yeah, well, it, it was a bold strategy, and 
unfortunately, you're looking at one of the casualties <laughs> yeah. of that bold strategy. You know, the, the craziest part about Billy's campaign was, and a lot of people don't know this, one of my jobs as, as political director was every time we had a campaign meeting, I had to drive to TAC Air and pick up our consultant, who was Dick Morris. Are you kidding me? No. And, and so I would, and, and we'd be in a meeting and Dick would look at his phone and be like, oh, hold on a second. I got to be on Hannity. I'll be right back. And he'd walk outside and you can turn the radio on and he's pacing out in front of the meeting <laughs> talking on Hannity. Uh, he, he had just come off of running the campaign to stop uh, the, the anti-Euro campaign in, in Britain mm-hmm. to stop them from adopting the Euro. And so like the, the no ad that we ran, which unfortunately we had a bluegrass band who's supposed to, to play Blue Moon in Kentucky and say, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. They canceled on us. And Dick was like, well, you have a guitar. Why don't you do it? And I was like, we're not going to use this, are we? He, he said, no, no, no. It's just for B-roll. And, were you in that? Oh, yeah. Ad? It was in the ad. And uh, Glenda Fletcher would always, every time I saw her Lincoln at dinner, she'd say, oh, I just love that commercial. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, yeah, they ended up using the cut of me leaning up against one of the horses downtown, uh, wearing like a trucker cap, playing uh, Blue Moon of Kentucky on my oh. guitars, singing singing no to the words. How but that it, didn't launch you into superstardom <laughs> is utterly beyond me. But it was an exact ripoff of an ad he had run in England for the anti-Euro campaign. But it, it was Dick Morris's first campaign in the U.S. since Clinton 96. No kidding. He had been running like races in Brazil and and, and Europe and everywhere else. Uh, but yeah, that was bizarre. I had to go pick Dick up at the airport every day. But that's that's what you get when you spend six point two million dollars in the primary. That's a lot. You get fifteen percent of the vote. <laughs> uh, that's gonna wrap it up this week for Kentucky Politics Weekly. Uh, I want to thank Adam for uh, for being in with us, and I uh, hope we can get him back here yeah, in man, the near it's been future. Fun. Uh, tune in for, uh, with us next week. Uh, you, you can catch us on uh, right now on Google Play, uh, Spotify, uh, SoundClouds. Uh, uh, trying to remember the other ones. Pocket Cast. We should. We're in the approval process for iTunes. So hopefully, maybe even by the time this goes up, uh, you'll be able to get us on iTunes. Uh, check us out if you, if if you can get us on iTunes. Please make sure you. Uh, you, you like it and, uh, and leave a rating because that, that helps boost us up the, up the rankings. But uh, look forward to coming back at you next Wednesday with more Kentucky Politics Weekly.